God has been leading us for the last couple of weeks. As you realize, I'm not Pastor Peter. He is still away. And so I ask you to continue to pray for him as he returns from a time of family and refreshment. We ask that you continue to pray for him and his family. But for the last couple of weeks, you know that we have been on a journey exploring what we've been calling sacred rhythms, arranging our lives for spiritual formation. And Pastor Peter has been leading us through these three dimensions of sacred rhythms. Solitude, which is encountering Jesus absent of people. Silence, having inner and outer quiet to attend to Jesus. Stillness, which is a humbling posture of tranquility. And he asked us a question a couple weeks ago. Does our current pace of life enhance or diminish our ability to give Jesus complete access to our lives. Let me say that again. Does our current pace of life enhance or diminish our ability to give Jesus complete access to our lives? We are a culture addicted to noise, addicted to productivity, addicted to people, addicted to doing. That is who we are. We suffer from hurry sickness, he says. It causes us to push through everything. We pummel and push through everything. Daily activities, multitasking, multiple tasking. We stay superficial so we don't have to sit still to go deep. We can't love deeply because we don't have time to love deeply. We just live on the surface and we encounter dangerous levels of soul fatigue. The journey towards sacred rhythms is really hard. I don't know about you, but it's rough. I'm an extrovert, high extrovert. It's rough for me to sit still by myself, alone. It's rough. Introverts have it great. I don't. I do not. It's hard to sit still to hear the voice of the Spirit, to discover how really Jesus wants to attend to me, attend to you in your life. So this week, my sisters and I, we're going to be sharing a little bit about our journeys, our stories, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit from God's word today about how Jesus' invitation, what it looks like sometimes when Jesus invites us. It's not necessarily what you think. And this invitation is found, and we're going to kind of ground ourselves in Matthew 14, 22 to 33, and it's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read this for us. All right. There we are. Wonderful. So it's the passage where Jesus walks on water. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went upon the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I'll keep my eyes above the waves. Remember that. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. The context of this interesting story comes after Jesus hears that John the Baptist has just been beheaded. And so he withdraws. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus, as we know. And Jesus withdraws to, by boat to a solitary place to process, I'm expecting. And of course, the crowds are following him. There are hundreds and thousands of people who know about Jesus now. And so they're following him by foot while he's in this boat. And when he arrives ashore, they're waiting for him. And the next parable and story we encounter is when Jesus does the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which by the way, it was 5,000 men plus women plus children. So we're talking a whole bunch of people, a ton of people. And after this miracle, Jesus then says to his disciples immediately, he tells them to get into the boat and to go on the other side of the lake while he would dismiss the crowd. So then Jesus takes off and goes to the mountainside to pray. The disciples are in the boat, Jesus is on the mountainside, and the boat is now a couple dis some distance from the shore. And bam, out of nowhere comes a storm. I grew up on an island, I've been through four or five hurricanes, I know what it feels like to see the storm coming. I know what it feels like, 115 mile hour winds. They are in a boat on the sea. Jesus is praying. I'm not okay with this story. <laughs> so, Jesus is off praying, communing with his father, by the way, in deep fellowship, in deep communion, and his disciples are in this boat, and bam, the storm comes, and the boat is starting to be tormented and battered by the waves. Jesus is where? Praying with his father at this time. The storm rages until the wee hours of the morning. I'm expecting, maybe they started out six, seven in the evening, but it's all night. The churning, 115 mile hour winds. The boat is going up and down. Seasickness is probably getting them. Jesus is off praying with his father. Somewhere between three and six in the morning, they said, it's like the fourth watch of the night. Jesus then says, all right, let me just see what's going on with my disciples here. So he makes his way towards the boat and walks on water. So picture it. A silhouette is coming towards you while you're in the boat, seven hours into this storm that's battering and raging. You're soaking wet. It's you're tired, you're exhausted. So in the chaos of all of this, they don't immediately recognize that it's Jesus. Who would? I sure wouldn't. I'd be like, what is that? Who, what, 
What is that coming towards me? I feel like it's a movie. They're in the boat and it's going and it's wrestling and it's one of those movies with a boat on, you know, water and so on. And all of a sudden this apparition comes in front of them. Me, I would be the person that says, oh Lord, what, what, what now? Oh, okay, it's over now. It's, we're done. What now? So they cry out, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. And they're terrified. So just to say this again, the storm is raging. The boat is being pounded and battered, and a ghost is coming towards them. Picture it. For me, all of that equals fear and panic. What? I can't go anywhere because I'm in the boat and the boat is, is barely you know, holding its own. And here comes this apparition that I don't immediately recognize as Jesus coming towards me. But interestingly, the story, without hesitation, says that Jesus immediately comes towards them. The storm is raging, the boat is going to capsize, and Jesus comes immediately towards them. I think this captures, and the rest of the story captures, three invitations that I want to share with us today about how Jesus invites us in the midst of where we are. The first one, in verse 27, Jesus says to the disciples, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. This first invitation is Jesus' invitation to his disciples and to us to remember who he is. They forgot who he was when they saw the apparition and the ghost. Remember, his disciples had been with him all this time, but so easily they forgot. That's my story. How easily I forget when trouble comes. The literal translation of this verse says, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. And it's important for us to actually know this because Jesus declares he is the I am. Meaning whoever you think you need, he is it. The end. I am present. The healer, deliverer. Whatever you think or you assume you need, he is. He's not just a prophet or a teacher, somebody great to listen to. No, he is the Messiah, God in flesh. He is the one. So when the storms of your life come and uncertainty comes and you forget, Jesus is reminding the disciples as he reminds us, take courage. It is me. I am the one that you need. Don't be afraid. Jesus is the only one that can say this and make this claim about himself. We can't do that. He is the only one that can say he is, I am. Jesus reminds them in this part of the story, implicitly, he is the master of the seas. Don't forget it. Don't forget, I am the one who created the seas. Psalm 89 says, you rule over the surging seas 
When its waves mount up, you still them. He is the one who can still the storm and the seas. So I ask you today, where is Jesus inviting you to take courage in your own life? Because he is the I am. Where is he asking you to do that? The second invitation I want to share is that the one that comes after Peter then decides, you know what? I am a thug. Peter says, I am a thug. I'm going to be brave. I see this thing coming. I am going to be the one to confront this. Oh, I realize this, Jesus. You know what? Let me just see. Jesus is on water. Wow, this is different. Let me try this out. Hmm. So, Jesus, so Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter says, essentially, you know what? The storm is crazy. Everything is about to capsize. We're not sure if we're going to make it. But you know what? If you say you really are who you really are, then tell me to come to you. I thought that was pretty brave of him. But you know, it's interesting. Jesus allowed him to do that, to reveal in very interesting ways to him how his own faith would fail him. Peter had a really high opinion of himself and his own faith. Ooh, I'm strong. I know how this goes. I've been with Jesus. I, I know how this works. Jesus, I know you. But given the circumstances, we'll see that actually something different happens. So Jesus, of course, says yes and says, okay, Peter. He says, come. The invitation is always to come. It's to come. He tells him to take the step outside of the boat, to take a step out. And then he says, come towards me. I find it really interesting at this point that Jesus does not tell Peter to come after he has calmed the seas. The storm is raging. That's a word for someone who wants to wait until the storm is over to come. Jesus never invites us when the storm is over and the sun comes out and all the water is all dried up. No, he calls us and says, come when the storm is raging. He doesn't say, wait a minute, Peter, let me calm this thing down so you can see me clearly, wipe this, all of the water from your eyes so you can see me, and then your trust will be built because you see me do this, and then you come. No, he says, come in the midst of the storm. Storms are scary and frightening. And I would prefer, personally, to wait until daylight comes before I come out of this boat to go to this apparition that I think is now Jesus. I prefer to just chill until the thing is over. That's not Jesus' invitation. So I'm asking you today, how is Jesus inviting you to take a step out of your boat in the midst of your storm, when your storm is raging? And whatever your storm looks like, whatever your storm may be. So here we are, Peter takes courage. He wants to walk out to where Jesus is and says, yes, I have boldness, I'm, I'm brave, I'm going to do it. So he takes a step out. He gets out of the boat and he walks towards Jesus. But then, but then, 
he felt and saw the wind. And he began to sink. And he cried out and asked Jesus to save him. It's interesting. He was brave enough to step out of the boat to walk on water. But when the wind came, his faith failed him. I find that really interesting. We often start really well. We start really good. Lots of gumption, gusto. We start with verve and vest and zest and we're ready to go rearing. Jesus, I love you. I'll do anything that you ask me to do. I'll go where you call me to go. And then all of a sudden, a storm comes. And we're like, yeah, I still have courage. I still am going to go. But then the wind kicks up. Ooh. Wait, what? Wait. Wait, the wind? What do you mean? Peter wasn't trying to escape stepping out of the boat or going into the storm. But at the moment when the wind, he felt and saw the wind, that's when his courage staggered. His faith failed him. And he forgot again that Jesus was right there. So easily we forget. And he becomes terrified and petrified in that moment. Jesus is right there. He had invited him to come. And Peter is now terrified and petrified. So this leads me to my third invitation. You know, as Peter is seized with terror and his faith fails him and when he forgets Jesus and starts to sink, immediately sometimes we think that you know what, see, it's going to happen anyway, so we may as well just give up. But Jesus is not that person. Jesus doesn't invite us and play cruel tricks on us. He's not evil. He never tricks us and deceives us when he invites us to come in the midst of the storm. Because immediately, and the wording there says immediately, he reached his hand to save Peter. Peter's faith failed him. If it was us or me, let's say, what, didn't you, weren't you with me all this time? How, how come you're failing now? What, what, what is the problem? Just because there's a small storm, what, what's the issue? We berate and chastise people when their faith fails them. But Jesus says no. Immediately, he reached out and caught him. So Jesus invited Peter at that point in time to renew his trust in him again, right there. Right there. Jesus also didn't leave Peter to fend for himself and say, you know what? See, you're sinking. I'm going to teach you a lesson. No. He's not that person. Immediate suggests that Jesus is never far from us. He's never. Jesus always assures us before he corrects us. He always assures us before he corrects us. Human beings do the opposite. Jesus never corrects us without the assurance of who he is and his love. So he says to Peter next, you of little faith. Notice he reached out and saved him first and then corrected him. See, the truth is that the root of Peter's fear is not the fear of the storm, but it's doubt. God, Jesus didn't chastise him for coming out of the boat, 
Peter didn't doubt that Jesus was walking on water and that he was doing the same. He was convinced of that before he left the boat. And also while he was sinking, he, was, he knew that he was doing something more than likely supernatural. But Peter was afraid that Jesus could not or would not support him against the wind that blew fiercely more than before. How many of us are afraid that Jesus will not have your back and support you when you step out to come to him? We often start really well, as I said, stepping out of the boat full of faith, but in the middle of the situation when the thick of things happen and the heat is turned up, I forget that Jesus is right there with me in the midst of the storm. I forget. Jesus knew that it was easy for Jesus to walk on water and he knew Jesus would support him in the storm. He knew it here, mentally, cognitively, but experientially, that was not his story. It was not his story. So what ended up happening was Peter leaned into his self-sufficiency and his self-reliance, and that caused him to sink. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He took his eyes off of the one that would hold him up in the process. So my third invitation to you is this. Where is Jesus today inviting you to ask some questions about the firmness of your faith in him when you are in the thick of things? Do you ask the question? Peter's doubt was reasonable. We often give him a bad rap and say, oh, geez, you failed. You were the one that was with Jesus. But that is us. That is us. We walk with Jesus daily, but we forget that he's right there and that he will not leave us in the midst of the storm. So I'm going to invite my sisters to share some of their stories. Constance, Ruth, and Emily are going to share how they, in their own lives, have been recognizing Jesus' invitation to them. And especially in the context of this series that we've been doing on sacred rhythms. Let's hear from them. Hey, y'all. Hey. Um, so I don't know how this experience has been for anyone else, but for me, I can say that the invitation into practicing sacred rhythms and in particular practicing solitude has felt a lot like Peter's experience, stepping out into the, out into the water. And so I want to share a story with you. But first, the invitation that I've been responding to from God is to trust that I'm completely loved by him. Trust that I'm loved in all of my flaws and all my imperfections completely by him and knowing that beyond head knowledge that that is an invitation to live that out as an experience of his love. Um, so there's been a long journey for me coming into understanding of what that invitation is and I think I initially understood that invitation from him to be one to experience God as friend and companion beyond knowing him as God the Father and God the provider. 
Um, so about two and a half years ago is when I relocated to this area um, to be closer to the city of Chicago. And with that move brought about a lot of transition for me in a pretty short period of time. So not only was I coming into a new job and had a new living environment, but I also was now physically distant from my closest friendships. And I was also fresh out of a long-term relationship. So on top of all these things and trying to manage um, this invitation from God to begin to know him as God, my friend and my companion, and also wanting to cope with all the transition I was going through, a lot of different emotional things were coming up for me. Things that were new and old, um, as well as a lot of characteristics about myself because I was in this completely new environment, getting to see more of who I am when I'm put under pressure. Um, and some of those things I didn't like. And some of those emotions I didn't want to deal with and didn't want to confront. And I wanted to see those things as not part of who I am. I am this happy, positive, got it all together woman and this broken person, this person who experienced these negative things and negative feelings is over there and I don't know her and I don't love her. And so I didn't want to embrace those things and include them as someone, a part of me and who shaped who I am and love them as part of who I am. Throughout time, I began to understand God's invitation to me in understanding that he wanted to show me that he loved me and her over there as one whole person. And one way that he began to show me that I could experience his love as a lived experience was that he loved me through the people who he placed me in community with. Um, so as, after a couple of years of realizing how I was coping with all of the stress factors of all of my transition, I realized that I, even though I was living in close proximity with other people, I was relationally living in isolation. I was not choosing to live practicing solitude and living into the community and to the love that God sought to show me, but I was practicing, I'm gonna keep it all to myself, I'm gonna keep my mask on, I'm gonna keep people distant and let them see what I want them to see, instead of saying, no, I'm gonna trust you, God, that I can know you, be intimate with you, and that I can still go into community and be known and be loved by you through those folks that you've put around me. Um, for me, that was a stark contrast. Um, for me, that was spending a lot of time alone when I was wanting to practice building that companion, friendship, relationship with God, that meant I needed to do more, that meant I needed to fast more often, that I needed to spend more time worshiping through music on my own, that I wanted to pray at a certain time in the morning and a certain time in the evening and having this very structured way of how I interacted with God instead of building relationship with him and keeping all of my coping to myself, not seeing a therapist and not talking to anyone about it, even those who were close to me. But the difference when I began to enter into relationship with other people was that I could see that I needed to embrace that and that people were still going to accept me and embrace me and love me in the spaces I went into. So God was willing to love me in all of my hot messiness and still be able to um, show up as I am. And so it invited me to surrender um, myself as this imperfect self coming in as an insecure self and pick up my identity as God's beloved child and start from there and enter into those spaces. So as I continue to practice solitude and living into community and experiencing God's love in that way, um, I'm still learning how to accept that invitation from Christ and continue to build relationship from there.
Thanks, Constance, for sharing. Um, I want to share, um, well, I just want to first share that I'm an introverted person, so we're talking about extroverted, introverted people. Who is introverted here? Okay, so we naturally like solitude, right? <laughs> I mean, at least I, I naturally really enjoy being by myself, not all the time, but um, one example from my childhood, even at like eight years old, we had um, this willow, this huge willow tree in their backyard. Um, willow trees are like, um, have really, really long leaves that stretch to the ground. And I would sit up there and be up there just for long periods of time. So I was an old soul at eight years old. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so to some degree, solitude is something that is pretty easy for me. Um, but I feel compelled to share today about a time when solitude wasn't easy. Um, I, first of all, I am a mother of two children, um, a three, uh, almost three and almost five-year-old. And um, I want to say, as a side note, is that motherhood is a deep joy. Um, and I'm really thankful. And I know that it's something that I am, every day, there's not a single day, maybe minute, but that I'm just deeply delighted by my children. And I just, my heart explodes at that. And um, I just want to share an experience where motherhood was feeling really difficult. Um, when I first gave birth to my, my, my oldest son, Jeremiah, um, I, there are a lot of things that you don't know when going into motherhood, and every single person's story is so different and similar. But for me, I just didn't realize, I had heard um, people warn me about nursing being a difficult experience, um, and I was more so anticipating the pain of it. Um, but I didn't experience the pain of it, I, I, uh, but I didn't anticipate losing autonomy. Um, so I did not anticipate that nursing meant being awake all the time <laughs> and also like when they're really, really, really new, like nursing every hour um, or so it feels like every hour or so. Um, and and that, that rhythm of my experience as a first time mother was that feeling of like I'm always accompanied by this beautiful, wonderful creature, but always followed. So as so now, think of my, me as an introvert, I really enjoy being by myself. <laughs> I'm always accompanied. So even that first year as a nursing mother, I would also, even if I was separated from my child, I would also have to, I felt always accompanied because I would have to pump, right? So always having, carrying this responsibility. Um, and that, that was just a really huge um, transition in how I was experiencing solitude. Um, in college, I was in college in some of my young adult years, I was able to experience solitude by going and having large chunks of time by myself um, in nature or by myself, et cetera. But this is a season where that was almost impossible. And so I began practicing simply and just finding ways to simply whenever I would nurse, not looking at my phone, um, because that was like, one of the few times I could experience solitude, just sitting there, because I had nowhere else, I can't do anything else, but I can also just sit there. And some of those times became really deeply sacred for me. Um, but I also started to, because I was working at the time, of, I was part-time in another um, job, and mothering, and just trying to live, um, I also developed this habit of, um, and this is it's funny to remember this, is I would, use some of my free time, including, because our lives are just so crazy, I would use some of our Sundays as um, solitude space. Um, when my child was a little bit older, I didn't need to nurse every hour. Um, and so it even feels silly here to say, like, I would sometimes skip Sundays. And I'm not encouraging anyone. I believe totally 100% in corporate gathering. But I, I share this as a place of vulnerability and saying that my life was so, f like, I felt like I had no margin. I, like, the only option after Kenny and I discussed, like, 
I think Sunday mornings was my only time that I can have some space occasionally. Um, and that just gave me a lot of guilt because I, am, uh, I grew up going to Sunday church every, all the time. And so just like feeling like that my soul was literally bursting, like I needed some alone time and to use that space felt really sacrilegious. But I felt like in that season, God was saying, the invitation was, hey, I am not, the God that you experience in college is wonderful and beautiful and it's me, but I also want you to experience something different here. Um, and that, that God also never talks about being good enough. In the, I, like I looked, I think I'm pretty sure I read through the Bible and said, never saw the phrase good enough, but God in the beginning of the creation just said it was, and I made it and it was good. And that's all I have to worry about. And so that was the mantra I kept saying to myself in that season, like, thank you, God, for the good. Like, this is good. All that I have and all the limits, and it's really experiencing God in saying, um, your limitations are good, period. Um, so yeah, I just share that story as just kind of like, that was like the epitome of how like, I just felt so limited that even just using something that I really uh, cherish, like going to church on Sunday, was that something that God said, it's okay to have limits here and to choose what isn't really important for you in that season. Um, I also want to just share a time when solitude was not just hard, it wasn't easy, but when solitude was really felt really unproductive. Um, in 2016, I gave, sorry, this is always, I don't know why this is how God challenged, or this is how I show up, but I gave birth to another child, and I had a hard time again. <laughs> not everyone has a hard time, so don't worry, um, but I did. And this time, the challenge, not only did I have a newborn, but I also had a very active toddler, and other life situations coming in, I was also um, experiencing depression and not fully knowing it. And so not only did solitude feel challenging, but felt unproductive, but it felt so unsatisfying. Like I would be by myself and make carve out times. I learned the first time around how to carve out times for myself and just sit there and feel so unsatisfied. Um, and that, during that season, a huge practice of mine, even not, not even just like the physical things that I would do, the structured things I would do, but a huge overall practice was just called trust. This trusting that even though what I'm doing doesn't feel productive and it feels unsatisfying, it's doing something in me. And so one practice I would do that didn't feel necessarily satisfying, but I would trust it, was that every morning, because every morning was hard to wake up and to live into another day, I would open up the curtains and just say, his mercies are new every morning, his compassions never fail, great as his faithfulness, and breathe that in and just trust that. Um, and that was my practice every day. And that, honestly, that was all I could do. Um, and that was the, the capacity that I had in that season. And I want to say that it just felt like I'm doing it over and over, felt futile and foolish to some extent because it didn't feel like it was producing anything. But um, during that season, it just really felt like God was inviting me to walk in the dark where I'm literally walking through pitchback and it feels like I'm not, I don't even know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know if I even took that many steps. I don't know how far I've gone, but just to learn to walk in the dark and to trust that it was like an image that was so, so formational for me during that time and so life-saving, if you will, was this picture of a seed in the dark, cold ground and believing that that, that, that seed beneath the surface of everything was planting, was bursting forth and would one day come forth from the ground. Um, so I just want to share that during those seasons, those practices that I did didn't save me. It didn't make me feel better, 
but I, I, they also helped me go through the tunnel that I needed to go through. And I, and I think something that I, and why I share this today is because during that season, I just learned that even when I cannot sustain myself, God sustains me, and that was the God I experienced in that season. Um, and I also just praise God, and it's been several years since that season, is that now I'm able to see what that seed has produced. I can't name everything it has produced, but one thing that it was produced during that time or over time was that um, God birthed in me just a reconnection with my creative self. I think that was something that I had not reconnected in the ways that I have only because of that experience. So thanks be to God for, for all that God has done in that season. So something that God is um, inviting me to through silence and solitude and stillness is um, to lay down my productive self and experience a deeper um, understanding of who God is. So unlike Ruth, silence, solitude, and stillness does not come naturally to me at all. I'm not compelled by it. It's not really very interesting to me, and that's how it is. So I am um, an extrovert. I am a multi I'm really good at multitasking. I love multitasking. I um, am a verbal processor, and I like to manage a lot. I, some, my husband might say, I like to micromanage a lot, but I like to think of it as management. And um, as much as it's in my, oh, I'm also a mom of three kids who are five, three, and almost two, and so, and I work, so, you know, I like manage everything, right? So as much as it's in my control, I like most things to be productive and efficient. And I often apply that to how I interact with God. I'd like God to be productive and efficient in how we're doing things. Um, and some of our spiritual practices actually feed into that for me. Uh, reading the Bible, check. Praying, I get to talk. Uh, serving, worshiping God, like it's all here. You know, like there's just a giving generously, I get to do it. So I get to be in control of a lot of my relationship with God. And um, when we take control, when we get into this method of doing everything, because I'm doing a lot, the, the onus for how God works is on us. And I am the one driving the relationship, the transformation in both me and my family. And God's, God's part of it. I invite God into the prayers, into the reading of the Bible. But I'm the one who's kind of in control. But stillness and silence and solitude, and I'm working on it, is me laying down my productive self, laying down my manager, and actually trusting that God is the one who drives the transformation and drives that in my family, in my church, in my work. And it's, it forces me, being still and silent, not doing anything, forces me to, to trust that God loves me and is meeting me for who I am, not for what I'm doing. And that's a huge challenge for me. And that takes courage, and I actually don't realize how much I depend on my doing until I have to be still and silent. <laughs> and I'm like in my mind thinking, but I, have, I mean, but I could just be praying about X, Y, and Z for this ministry, and that'd probably be better. But it's actually, I'm forcing myself to say, okay, hang on, God, I come to you in my unproductive self. 
And the challenge is for me, it, it really takes courage for me. That's this invitation Jesus is having, is giving me because it takes courage for me to, to actually believe or trust in the God who's meeting me. Who is showing up here? Because often I function as if God loves me because of what I do, right? So it, um, so I have, to, I have to kind of come to grips with who is the God who's meeting me in this silence and in this kind of really vulnerable place for me. And so often I think to myself, I kind of have this vision of God like tapping his watch, like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm glad you're here, but should have come sooner. Or this disappointed God who's like, yeah, well, kudos, but you know, not, you haven't quite done good enough. I have this, sometimes I have that vision. But when you look throughout scripture, and I've been so, God has been um, meeting me in really cool ways through scripture in the past couple of months. When you look through scripture, that sort of God is not the God who shows up for his people. The God who shows up is the, is the father and the prodigal son. Or as I like, I read it as the prodigal daughter. And in, that's the God who shows up. The one who when, in Luke 15, the daughter, has gone off, done her own thing, rejected her father, and then makes a mess of things and tries to patch everything up herself and finally says, okay, I'm gonna go back to the father. And Luke 15 says, so she got up and went to her father. But while she was still a long way off, her father saw her and was filled with compassion for her and he ran to her and threw his arms around her and kissed her. This is the God who meets us when we come to him in our unproductive selves or whatever self is hard for you to to come to God with. The God who runs to us, who sees us and loves us and throws out compassion on us. That's the God who we can trust in our stillness and silence and solitude. And that's the God who I can come to and lay, lay down my defenses, lay down the things that make me feel really secure I can lay those in front of a God who sees me and has compassion on me. And so that's how God's inviting me into this journey is by, I mean, I can keep trying to like be still, but it's, it's this vision of being able to commune with that God and to sit with that God and be shaped and transformed by the God who sees and the God who has compassion. I'm going to invite us into a time of response, and I want to um, be reading, um, where, before I share about that, is I want us to really ask that question, what is God inviting me to? And I love, Emily, how you mentioned, like, sometimes we can invite God into our lives, but I think the, the beautiful question is, what is God inviting me to? And as I read, um, as we go into enter a time of response, I want to read from the, um, this Bible I recently got. It's a First Nations version of the, uh, the words of Jesus, of God, the Gospels. And I'm going to read this story, um, and it comes from Scripture. It's, it's contextualized um, for First Nations people, and I love it. And I just want to name that a couple, th- or share that a couple of things that are, there are a number of things that are different. But this version talks about Jesus and calls Jesus creator sets free. I love that. Creator sets free. Um, Refers to God as the great spirit, the great spirit. And Peter as um, stand on the rock. 
Any Peters in here? Stands on the rock. That's, that's Peter's name. Um, and as I read this, I just wanted you to close your eyes and receive this passage of Scripture read, read over you. But I invite you to imagine yourself as Peter, um, as creator, uh, sorry, as stands on the rock Peter. And as you imagine yourself, put yourself into the story. Imagine what's going on. Imagine the storm like Susie was talking about, the, the wind and all those things. Um, and after you hear the story and you imagine yourself as Peter, I invite you to respond physically as you feel in your heart. So if you feel um, God inviting you to be bold, I encourage you to stand. Whether it's to be humble, maybe to kneel, maybe to put your arms out to your side as a way of expressing vulnerability. That feels like a vulnerable thing. I can't cross my arms, but I'm just open. Um, Maybe it's by responding with your hands up, saying, God, I need you. Only you, God, can do it. Maybe it's just swaying or dancing as an expression of joy and praise for who God is or the victory you believe that God will do. Maybe it's walking up to this cross here and kneeling by the cross or standing there as an expression of reckless abandon. Or maybe it's at the end of the time um, asking for prayer as an expression of God, asking God's help. Um, whatever you do, I just invite you to respond in a way that feels true to you. And I just really want to invite you to do so with your bodies. Because um, our bodies are God's too, right? Not just our mind and our soul deep within, but our whole entire selves. Um, so let me read this. And I want to, um, it's called Water Walker. Right away, creator sets free, who is Jesus, had his followers get into the canoe and go ahead of him to the other side of the great lake while he sent the people back to their homes. After that, he went up into the mountainside to be alone while he sent his voice to the great spirit. He stayed there and prayed as the sun set and the stars came out. His followers were still in the canoe far from land. The wind blew strong against them, and the waves pounded the canoe and began to toss it about. Late into the night, just before the morning light, Creator Sets Free, who is Jesus, came near them, walking on the water. When his followers saw him, they cried out in terror, it is a ghost spirit. But he heard their cries and called out to them, do not fear, take heart, it is I. Wisdom keeper, is it you? Stands on the rock, Peter shouted back to him. If so, tell me now to come to you on the water. Come, he said to him without any hesitation. With reckless abandon, stands on the rock with Peter, climbed over the side of the canoe and began to walk on the water toward him. The wind howled and the waves splashed against him as he made his way toward Creator Sets Free, who is Jesus. But when he felt how strong the wind was, fear took hold of him. He began to sink and cried out, Wisdom Keeper, save me! Creator Sets Free, who is Jesus, quickly reached out and took hold of him. Man of small faith, he said, what made you hold back and doubt me? The wind stopped blowing as they climbed into the canoe. They all bowed low to honor him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of the Great Spirit. <laughs>